This week on Developer Weekly. Well, it, it's it's actually incredibly easy. It's like what programming should have been like all along, right? It, which is that if I want to write a program that does hello world, I just sit down and write the hello world statement, you know. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week, I'm talking with Matt Torgerson about C-Sharp 9 and beyond. Matt is the lead designer of C-Sharp at Microsoft. Welcome, Matt, and thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, no, thank, thank you very much. And, you know, I want to just to start out to just, you know, thank you uh, for all the stuff that you do in C-Sharp. Because it's it's a type of work that you and the teams do, the .NET team as well, that make me as a developer and many of our uh, listeners uh, able to create cool stuff. So we are literally standing on the shoulders of giants, which is you guys. <laughs> so you you guys enable us to have jobs, basically. So thank you. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for those words. I'm glad that this is audio only, so uh, people can't see me blush. Um, <laughs> this is very much a team effort, and um, and the team is. Uh, I mean, that's really the secret sauce is um, is to have many people working together and and stuff like this. Um, my group is certainly a, a bunch of passionate and very capable folks, and um, and also the community really is part of the team nowadays. In that. Um, C Sharp is very much developed in the open and with lots of um, discussion, input, uh, ideas, um, uh, complaints from the um, from the broad community that really um, factors in very much to how the end product uh, is shaped. So, so thanks to everyone out there. It's um, it's it's really wonderful to be able to do this in the open and with us all being on the team a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. So now everything is open source. .NET is open source. C Sharp is open source as well. I can take a look at all the source code and I can create pull requests if I want to. Is is that also the mechanism that you use to uh, come up with new features? Yeah, we actually have a separate repo in GitHub um, for language design. Um, it used to be that the language design and um, and compiler implementation lived in the same place, but we uh, we actually... Um, some years ago, we factored out the language design aspect to its own repo, um, github.net, c lang uh, just so that um, it, because we have a different kind of discussion and different kinds of issues and so on, and it felt more natural to separate that out. So that's actually literally an open source repo for c language design. And the, there's not real code in there. The code in there, quote unquote, is, um, is documents. Uh, right. It's... Um, the meeting notes and the proposals and so on, specifications that make up the design process, if you will. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's very cool. Well, at least then we can see how the sausage made, uh, basically. We, we can see in the kitchen. So that's very good. Yes. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, 
it can take some effort to actually, um, you know, follow along and imagine that you were standing and staring at the kitchen of a of a fine dining restaurant like 30 hours a week or something. You might be able to <laughs> suss out what they were doing. So, it's a, I mean, to some people, it's a, you know, it's a hurdle to to try to follow along. But we try to do our best and, um, you know, uh, have the the artifacts of the design process be reasonably accessible uh, to people who don't work on it on a day-to-day basis. Now we could probably do better, but but at least it's something that we're aware of and and try to try to do well. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I've I've looked at that as well. I think you guys are doing a great job at that, and I don't think that you actually have to cater to everybody that wants to uh, understand what's going on there because language design is a very difficult thing to do. I think. And so not everybody has to understand that per se, you know, we're just the users, basically, we just use, uh, we just use the, the language. So we don't per se have to know or understand what, what actually goes on and goes into creating that. So that, that's true. There's a balancing act. We can't spend all our time communicating no. uh, to, er- to everyone what, what happens in design. But at the same time, we want it to be an open process for real. So we want it to be that people can insert themselves and discuss ideas without, you know, somebody immediately saying, I guess you didn't read all the 300 uh, documents here, so we won't listen to you. Now, it shouldn't be that that high of a barrier to pass to have some amount of impact um, or at least a discussion um, in the language space. So we, you know, we try to be welcoming and um, and make it so that people can be heard in there and um, and taken into account. Yeah, yeah. And you spent uh, a lot of time also implementing new features because C Sharp is constantly evolving. Now .NET five is released, and then C Sharp uh, nine is uh, is part of that, right? Yeah. So yeah, about a month ago that all came out. For yeah, yeah it's for real. very very cool. <laughs> so so what's new in C Sharp nine? So we focused on a few things in the C Sharp 9 uh, timeframe. Um, there are always like continuous improvement. Now that C Sharp comes out so often <laughs> with a new major version, uh, we, are, uh, we, we don't so much ship a whole feature and that's that. It, features tend to come out stretched out over several releases. You know, mm. Pattern matching um, made its first appearance in C Sharp 7, but it's, we, we keep shipping improvements to it. And C Sharp 9 has its own several new patterns that that make pattern matching more powerful still um we did open some more uh, some new fronts though in c-sharp 9 that i think are interesting in particular um with what we call records uh, this is the features or feature set almost that we've been discussing for many many years without really getting without being able to get a good grip on it like make it a feature that we've feel like fits well with an object-oriented programming language. And we finally sort of had the, the insights um, in language design that, that made it feel right to us. So in C-Sharp 9, we're finally shipping records, which are, um, the, in our telling, I mean, many, language feature, uh, many languages have features called records, but in our version of it, a record is a class that is value-oriented or value-based. It has value-based equality. It has um, value-based, that is, non-destructive mutation supported. Um, It's essentially meant to represent, so um, it sort of goes well with immutable programming in that, and Mm -hmm. a record is really good at representing 
um, you know, a snapshot of, of state in time rather than a mutable object sort of evolving over time, if you will. So if you have more of an immutable discipline, you're representing um, records of data, data representing what things look like at a given time, then it's really good for that. Object-oriented programming has all the wrong defaults for that. It's the classes are made for like being mutable and encapsulated and and their state evolving over time. And that's great if that's what you want to do. But yeah. if you want to say, oh, here's what it, here's what um, Barry looks like today, and here's what he looks like tomorrow, and I want to maybe work with those two states at the same time, even though they represent states at different times, you know, I want to diff them to see what, what's different about Barry today than, than yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, he changed his age or, you know, he, his GPA <laughs> went up if he was, or whatever. Um, yeah. I want to diff them. I want to, um, you know, undo some things that I did or whatever. There's, yeah. it's, there are many ways in which working with data, you don't want the, compute time and the model time to be the same timeline you know yes. you want to be able to represent yes. multiple points in model time at the same time in the program and mm -hmm. an immutable programming is really really good for that it's very resilient to to uh concurrency problems and um is so it makes for very robust apis and you can have complex object models that you share out without so much risk because things are immutable people can't break them when you hand them over to them um so um, so we've been doing a lot of immutable value-oriented programming ourselves for a while. The whole C-sharp compiler, so-called Roslyn project, is now one big API with an immutable object model representing source code in C-sharp, representing um, syntax and semantics and everything in an immutable object. So we learned about a lot about that, and we struggled with fighting against the defaults of C-sharp ourselves and kind of felt those scars on on our own bodies. And we were like, okay, so what would really help here? And then we went and designed that feature. So that's what records are. It's like classes with the defaults flipped for good value-oriented immutable programming. Right. So basically, you might be able to compare it to uh, uh, event sourcing, as in where you have an event uh, data store that represents things that happened, instead of, uh, let's say, uh, a relational data store where you have rows and columns of uh, uh, the current state of the data, which in this case then are objects and classes. Yes, that's a really good comparison. Um, I, I think that's very much the same philosophy as that programming model I'm talking about, yeah. where where you're representing, where the representation of what happened over time is part of the data model <laughs> rather than, you know, um, being lost uh, or having to be logged as a separate kind of... Um, uh, as a separate mechanism behind the scenes. So um, that's, you know, with, all, with wire data and um, cloud computing being an integral part of how we program now, that is often the best way to go. Uh, you, you, yeah. you can't have your proprietary encapsulated data just running on a single machine anymore. And, and um, you know, you, we need to make these, these other... Um, I won't say paradigms, but other um, or architectures of programs make them feel first class in a language like C Sharp. That yeah. pattern matching was about that, was about making it so that um, when you can't encapsulate the functionality with the data, but you still want the functions to take the shape of the data into account, like to do different things depending on what type they're applied to, then pattern matching is is a way to make that feel first class. And so, yeah. so that, that's another one of those 
places where the programming landscape evolved, the, the, again, the cloud, the, the, the central storage of data means that data and functionality can't live together. I want to do different yeah. functions over the same data depending on what app I'm running or what, you know, depending on context. And so separating functions and data is painful when you're in an object-oriented world, but pattern matching kind of did the job. And now we're sort of doing the same thing for immutable um, programming with, with records. So it's all us um, conceding that there are these ways that object, the classic object-oriented programming isn't the right way anymore, but it still has a lot to bring to the table. Like inheritance is still a you know, strong central abstraction mechanism. And, and part of why it took so long for us to make records was uh, we wanted to make sure that it was that we made it as a feature that worked super well with inheritance as a modeling mechanism. Right, yeah. You try to make it work also in the object-oriented world, basically. Yes. Yeah. Rather than sort of taking something that is, you know, say from the functional world and saying, well, we just, yeah. we stick it in there, but now you you have to choose which, are you in the functional dialect or the, or the object-oriented dialect of C-sharp? It's better if we can deeply integrate it and make it not so much of a, a schism, you know, yeah. make make the features work together orthogonally. Okay, well, that's very cool. That's a very cool uh, cool feature. So, what about uh, I read top level statements, and I love those because that means I just have to type less code. <laughs> How does that work? Well, it, it's it's actually incredibly easy. It's like what programming <laughs> should have been like all along, right? It, which is that if I want to write a program that does hello world, I just sit down and write the hello world statement you know <laughs> um why why on earth you know, let's say i'm coming to c sharp as a as a new programmer or trying to learn to program or as someone who's been programming in a different kind of environment i'm not just meaning java but you know something that's a little more different from c sharp yeah. and you're like oh, how do i write a program well i guess i'll write a statement well in c sharp you have to tell people well you know what you have to you have to actually declare this class you know if you bring up the template yeah. Uh, you get the template from BS, there's even a namespace around it, then a class, and then it has to have this method with a certain name and one of these eight different signatures um, <laughs> that you can choose from. And if you do all that right, then you have an entry point. And inside of that entry point, in the curly braces there, there you can write your one-line program. <laughs> You're like, okay, that's a lot of stuff I have to, if not understand, then at least look at or accept that I have to put into my program just to do one thing. So... So for simple programs, that just seems excessive. But and and we just said, hey, you know what? I mean, for any program that needs a main method, you know, that's just um, that, that that's kind of unnecessary. It's sort of a vestige of C sharp one o and and the you know the twentieth yeah. century, if you will. And um, what if we just said it? You don't have to do that. You can just write your statements at the top level, and and people are like, oh, do I have to call the do I have to call the file something special? No, you don't. You just only do it in one file, right? Because obviously, if you do it in two files, it's like having two main methods. Then we don't know which one to execute or which one to do first or whatever. So, so yeah, if you just restrict yourself to one file, write some statements, then that's your program. It's and it's you know it's really quite it's super simple. There's no magic about it. Is that well? Okay, so there's a little bit of magic um, <laughs> on top okay. of that um, because um, you know, as I said in it, with the classic main method, you have to sort of choose, well, do I take an arcs array or not? Do I 
am I async or not, or return task, or void, or int, or all those things, the different signatures depending on what you want to do in the method. And all those things, you can still do them at the top level. We even have a magic variable called arcs, <laughs> because that's what people always call it anyway. So there's just a magic variable in scope. Um, and you can use it if you want. You, if you use a wait, then it'll be async. If you return an int, then it will, re, it will be int returning. You know, it will just sort of, quote unquote, magically, I, I would just say automatically, you know, be the right kind of entry point for what you do in there. You don't have to know that the signature needs to have a special shape for you to achieve what you want to achieve. So yeah. that's, that's just great. a, it's one of those times where, you know, it's really easy being a language designer and, and just say, yeah, we just made the language simpler, you know, um, yeah. just made, or we make programming simpler. That's, that's nice. You know, sometimes it's not about a new, a new fancy feature. Sometimes it's just about what you've always done just became easier, simpler, or nicer to look at. Yeah, well, I like that a lot because it may, it means that the language is more inclusive. As more and more people are getting into programming and trying to get into programming, we, you know, it's important to try to uh, lower the barriers to get into a language like this. So with this, it's really simple, and you know, you don't have to uh, remember magic like the main method, and you just uh, right. start typing. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point you're making because as as um, as language designers, we have this somewhat unique problem, um, which is that unlike people who design UI or something, we can't just change it, right? We can't just take something out. Oh, that was a bad idea. Let's not do that in the next release. <laughs> you know, language features there, people will have code using it and we can never remove it or change what it does. So we're, uh, backwards compatibility really boxes us in, but it, it, but it also, you know, we're forced to keep all the features and therefore every time we add something, the language by nature grows a little more complex. Um, so it's important to, even though, I mean, there's nothing we really can do about that, about the language growing bigger, but we can, sometimes we can work in the other direction to some degree by giving you uh, simpler alternatives to how things worked, you know, quote unquote, in the old days. And there's sort of, some parts of the language can maybe be retired. They still, they still work, uh, but they, but they're no longer the way you would do something. That's sort of yeah. like a soft very soft deprecation. Like main method have been main methods have been very softly deprecated by C nine. <laughs> like you still use them and nobody will complain, but they are no longer the way you write a main program, perhaps. And so yeah. so that way we can still decrease complexity sometimes for programmers, even as the language evolves and embraces new things. That's that's, that's a great. That's another great feature. I also saw that uh, one another great feature, and I, I do think it is a feature, is that the performance improved a lot. Oh, of, that, um, of .NET, you mean, or yeah, .NET, .NET itself, yeah. Is that yeah. also something that that you, as a language designer, are also involved with, or is that just the runtime? Yes and no. Uh, so we're definitely with uh, with .NET Core now, .NET five. We've been on a on a constant journey, throwing many resources after making it more and more efficient. But we've also we're also making sure that we build more and more uh, of the framework in C sharp rather than you know uh, interopping down to some C plus plus code or whatever. We want um, and we want to make sure that that those lower lower levels that are now implemented in C sharp. Um, or have always been, but they've been very unsafe. 
uh, the, using the unsafe subset of CCR, we want to lower the risk uh, and the overhead of um, of interopping or using a lot of unsafe code. And so we've improved language features, introduced and improved language features that are mostly for if you're working at the very low level, you care about every single copy or allocation. Um, you care about the the um, the JIT being able to super optimize your loops and so on. And over the last, especially since C-Sharp 7, we've added more and more features that enable that. And we then take advantage of those in our library implementation so that they become faster and faster. I'm, I'm, it's not all about language features, but one of the aspects is that we've given um, those teams better language features. So they've asked us and we've given them better language features that enable them to implement something that's faster, yet um, sometimes safer um, than what they had before. Ah, okay. Yeah. So uh, for C sharp nine, let's take uh, uh, one more before we maybe take a look at what will be beyond C sharp nine, and that is uh -huh. an um, how is it called in in its only setters. Can you explain what that is and why you would use? Yeah. It? Well, it, in a sense, it's a tiny feature, but it actually it it makes a lot of difference. So yeah. um, it kind of goes back to that um, immutability that we talked about with records. We've been gradually trying to embrace immutability as a feature, as trying to level the playing field over many, many releases uh, between mutability and immutability in, in C-sharp. Everything's sort of mutable by default. You've always been able to have read-only fields, but it's sort of something extra you have to say. We added uh, object initializers in C-sharp 3, but for a long time, you know, they had to have getters and setters. And yeah. If you wanted an immutable one, well, the best you could do was to maybe set the um, the accessibility on the setter to private or something like that. So we, um, and then later we added getter-only auto properties, um, and it, so in these various ways we've been sort of inching in that direction. But one thing that still was a big kind of clash in C sharp was uh, when you wanted to create object use objects using object initializers. That's a very, I mean, it's a popular way of, of creating op, uh, objects and, and many people even, some companies even mandate that um, classes should not have big constructors. They should be initialized with object initializers because it's, you know, it has some benefits uh, in terms of, of maintenance and, and um, you know, avoiding brittleness. And it's, there's also a lot of boilerplate sometimes involved with writing constructors. So... So we recognize that object initializers become very popular, but they work through mutation, right? Yeah. You, you write an object initializer that initializes some properties. Well, guess what? That is actually assigns to those properties. And if you're yeah. mutable <laughs> and you're not supposed to be assigned to, and you, if you use setter only or getter only auto properties, you can't. So there was a big, well, do I want to use object initializers or do I want to be immutable? That was a sort of a choice, uh, a yeah. hard choice that you had to make in your object model. And we're like, you know what, that's silly. Uh, let's introduce a, an, a version of setters that we call initters um, that are setters. If, if you declare your setter as init instead of set, then it's um, it can only be used during object initialization, and then it, it then it goes away. <laughs> it becomes an error to assign to the property after that. So that it so all that achieves is if you use the init keyword instead of the set keyword is after your object has been initialized, that property is immutable. Yeah. It is super simple. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a little bit of 
I mean, when we implement something like that, we have to make sure that it's it has the right kind of compatibility with all the versions of C Sharp and with other languages under net. So there's a little bit about how the metadata works and how we trigger errors in older compilers from newer generated code when they don't understand the feature and so on. That, but, but that's just details. So the feature itself is is very, you know, is embarrassingly simple. It's a, we should have come up with this a long time ago. <laughs> but it also actually has great synergy with um, with records because yeah. records support what we call with expressions, like I mentioned a little bit, non-destructive mutation, where when you want to quote unquote change something in an Im immutable object model, like you're often making with records, well, you, what you want is to create the next version of the next representation of the next state of the same thing. So you want to copy everything except change one or two little things. And that's what with expressions allow you to do. And with expressions use object initializers to express the changes that you want to apply to the new object after you after you copy. So, so object initializers now are both on new expressions as they always were and, and also in with expressions. And there again, init only helps enable that you can actually make those changes to the object as you create it from its previous version, so to speak, in non-destructive yeah. mutation. Very cool. So yeah, we're moving a little bit more to the functional side with the immutable things. Yeah, that's very cool. I like it. <laughs> so is that a trend that will continue beyond C sharp nine? I think that functional programming as a paradigm and as a set of, you know, um, and a set of actively evolving programming languages in their own right is a treasure trove of ideas for good yeah. things to do in programming languages. We have been, um, we've been pillaging that village <laughs> ever, <laughs> in a, ever since we, uh, ever since, since we, uh, we first set C, you know, um, it's, um, uh, there are many things about functional programming that are right for yeah. many scenarios and they, Functional programming has sort of been complementary to object-oriented programming for many years in that they were good at different things. But if we can take some of those things and bring them together as seamlessly as possible in the same language, well, guess what? The language is good at both kinds of things. So that's what that's a trend that we've been on uh, for a long time and that I think will continue. There are, uh, if we look further into the future, there are definitely some type system things in um, in functional languages that are interesting. There's one thing that we are looking at is feature that started. It's called type classes in in Haskell. Um, it's a little misleading to object-oriented programmers because type classes aren't types and they aren't classes in you know <laughs> the vernacular that we're used to. But um, the 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 main idea is that you can, after you've created you know a set of types and and functions over the types, you can independently somebody else can say, hey, you know what? This this set of types they actually satisfy this contract that you might think of as an interface. Um, they call it a type class, you know. So there's a, there's a level of separation there, which in in an object-oriented world you could sort of imagine the equivalent being, well, you wrote some concrete classes, uh, your friend, uh, somebody else that you don't know wrote some interfaces. Now, I want to consume your classes in a context where they match the other framework's interfaces. Uh, can I yeah. can I sort of independently say, hey, 
I want it to be as if your classes implemented their interfaces, even though you didn't declare them to. So if you can kind of decouple in that fashion, then there are many, many things about software layering and composition that could become, that could get, gain more degrees of freedom. And I think that is, that is definitely an interesting place to explore. And we've started exploring it um, to see if there's a a good object oriented, essentially an object oriented equivalent to type classes there that we can, um, that we can nail in the future. That's one of the sort of long horizon investigations that we run that hopefully will eventually lead to something cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. So no promises for that in uh, C sharp 10, of course. Um, I can promise that it will not be in C sharp 10. So that's, <laughs> I promise I know I can keep. <laughs> okay. That's, that's very clear. Yeah. We, I mean, we are, we are now trending to, I'm not going to make a strong announcement or guarantee, but we're trending to a language version a year now. Um, and so we, we're going to have to get used to working on many features that won't be in the next release, but that are more long-term. And and this is probably one of those. Like, if it makes it into C-sharp 11 or C-sharp 12, I'll be happy. You know, that's yeah. got to work on multiple horizons there. Well, very cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to what's next uh, in, in the next version, but also in in what's coming. Because, you know, C-sharp is still, uh, although it's it's been around for a long, long time now, and like you said, you know, it grows because you cannot always deprecate stuff because people are just using all those features. It's still a very good language, I think. And it's still, um, you know, it keeps on becoming more useful, let's say, for uh, for me as an average programmer there. So, yeah, again, thank you very much for all that, uh, that work. And I'm looking forward to what's next in C Sharp in, uh, in the future. So thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to uh, to explain to me what's new in C sharp nine and what might be coming to the horizon. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's been great to talk to you. All right. This has been another episode of Developer Weekly. Check in next week for another cool topic. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com/developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much.